The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Palace of Wayward Dreams, Episode 7. Would you care for a seat? offered Sir Shanley. In a flash, Elizabeth realized the gravity of her response. There were many ways she could accept this invitation, and a great deal depended on the impression she made in these first few minutes. She thought to appear docile, to coax him with kindness and flattery. But that felt unnatural, and she'd never be able to sustain the role. Or she could just be herself, an unimpressed schoolgirl, and prod him into conversation. But that didn't feel right either. A man like Shanley would respect neither a pushover nor a brat. So she quickly chose a new persona. Elizabeth plopped into a chair, threw one leg over the other, and said boldly, Sir Shanley, I presume? I am, he said. And you are? Elizabeth. She examined her nails in the pale sunlight. They tell me you were a general. All movement ceased. Shanley was about to sip from his champagne, but the glass never reached his lips. He cocked an eyebrow at her and cleared his throat. <clears throat> Colonel. Ah, said Elizabeth. Same as my grandfather. Oh, which regiment? The 7th Cavalry. He fought in the Indian Wars. The... Shanley leaned forward. The American Indian Wars, you mean. All the same to me, said Elizabeth. Where were you? I... Shanley smirked reflectively. Here and about, but Burma, mostly. Elizabeth glanced around the great hall. I take it you liked it there. Shanley leaned back into his cushioned chair. I suppose I did. Because he, Elizabeth tossed a finger at Maung, must be someone real. Maung? Yes, he's my houseboy. That is, he was. But Larimer here... Elizabeth clapped a hand on the panther's shoulder, and she could feel his muscles tense. He is a different story, isn't he? Maybe a little more metaphorical. Shanley looked at her sternly. Elizabeth, was it? Crown, yes. Aren't you a bit young to be dallying about a place like this? Elizabeth pinched a wad of hair, then released it. Well, isn't that the point of a place like this? We can be whatever we like, yes? Couldn't I make myself a ravishing thirty-year-old if I felt so inclined? But you don't, snapped Shanley. Then more gently, You don't choose to be older than you are, I mean. I like my age. Elizabeth said this so forcefully that she wondered whether the colonel could detect the lie. To be honest, I'm not much different here than I am, well, out there. Well said Sir Shanley. You have a lifetime to cultivate your regrets. Elizabeth narrowed her eyes at Shanley. Is that what Larimer is? Shanley fell silent. Elizabeth had struck a nerve, but now she must tread carefully. Any more aggression might shut him up for good. The man was slippery. He had cultivated more than regret all these years. Even as he reposed, Shanley emanated calm intelligence, 
and she could not hope to combat him head on. He could always dismiss her as a foolish child, the way her elders wielded that obnoxious power. Elizabeth needed to catch him off guard, to trick him into equal footing. Chess, said Elizabeth, taking a piece from the table and inspecting it like a rare gem. I'd love to play you, but... But you're a novice, Shanley concluded. But, corrected Elizabeth, I would hate to see such a distinguished man lose. A long moment elapsed. Shanley looked stunned. Then he sat up straight, rubbed one eye, and said, White or black? Let's leave it to fate, Elizabeth replied. She grabbed a second piece from the table and drew her hands together. The tiny objects clattered between her palms, and she extended both hands, each piece hidden inside a clenched fist. Pick one. Right, said Shanley. Elizabeth retained her pose. Right, she echoed. But before we begin, we play by my rules. For every piece I capture, I ask you a question. You will answer fully and candidly, and vice versa. Agreed? That is how I know you for an amateur, said Shanley. The point of the game is not to muck about, but to win. I like toying with my opponents, said Elizabeth. It keeps things interesting. Are we agreed? Shanley saluted with two limp fingers. Very well, then. Elizabeth opened one hand and slapped a white rook against the board. Set up your pieces. You move first. I won't do it, declared Fung, folding his arms. It's preposterous. But we must, cried O'Malley. He won't survive otherwise. Like it or not, O'Malley, the choice is his. We have no right, and the damage we could wreak. Lexi stormed forward, jutting her face into Fung's. We have to try it. We have to. It's his only chance. What about the girl? Fung said. If she hasn't resurfaced, she must still be trying to coax him out. See here, Lexi rejoined. If you don't care for the responsibility, I can respect that. He's your friend. You oughtn't do it yourself. But by God, you must tell me how to do it. And if it's as simple as picking them pins out of his head, I'll do it now. You needn't even watch if you don't have the stomach for it. Fung stood there a long moment, his lips twisted in thought. He drew his cigarette case from his jacket pocket, but when he tried to snap it open, he fumbled and the case fell to the floor, spilling cigarettes on the carpet. He gazed at them absently, then closed his eyes. You will need gloves, he said. Gloves? Rubber gloves. They'll protect you from the electrical current. Elizabeth slid her bishop across the board and knocked the knight off its square. She set the captured knight on the table and said, All right, what were you doing in Burma? Sir Shanley hummed through his latticed fingers. His eyes looked sleepy, but Elizabeth could tell the man was preoccupied. He had advanced aggressively, invading the middle of the board, but he had only captured two pawns and a knight. 
Elizabeth had taken a bishop, both knights, and a rook, along with four pawns. All their remaining pieces were arranged in defensive diamonds, foreshadowing a slow and bitter battle. I was a civil servant, Sir Shanley said, his hand hovering indecisively over the board. I signed documents for a living, looked after the natives, nothing remarkable. Nothing uncanny? After a moment, Sir Shanley leaned back and surveyed his challenger. Then, with a flick of his wrist, he took Elizabeth's pawn with his own. Why are you here? he said coldly. Is that your question? That is indeed my question. Until now, their exchange had been innocuous enough. Where did he come from? London. What had she studied in school? Medicine. The dialogue would have bored Elizabeth, were the stakes not so high. She had to probe Sir Shanley first, finesse him into revealing himself. His mood was delicate, as was her strategy. But could she confess her mission? Would he appreciate her honesty or turn away for good? I think you know why I'm here, she said. If I recall your rules, Sir Shanley said, we are to answer fully and candidly. I detect a breach of contract. Larimer chuckled at this, a rich baritone of a laugh that sounded neither human nor feline. This struck Elizabeth as strange. If Larimer was a figment, how was his behavior expressed? Did Sir Shanley operate Larimer like a marionette, deciding what the creature would do and say at any given moment? Or was Larimer autonomous, reflecting both of their imaginations at once? When he sniffed, or scratched his ear, were these habits shared by the marriage of their minds? I wanted to meet you, said Elizabeth. She nudged a pawn forward. Impossible, said Sir Shanley plainly. You don't even know who I am. I've seen your house, retorted Elizabeth. I've met your wife. My wife, he sneered. My wife is a ghost. She is an empty shell. She has only the wherewithal to feed and bathe herself, nothing more. Elizabeth squirmed in her seat. What do you mean? What do I mean? I mean, her mind is corroded. Senility has left her with nothing. All she knows are sensations. She follows the habits of her former life, but not for any conscious reason. The woman I married, the woman I loved, is gone. So no, you have not met my wife. You have only met the ruins that remain. How could I have been so blind, Elizabeth thought. No wonder she was so quiet. That's why she never noticed his long absences. Lady Shanley's dementia was so severe that nothing he did ever mattered. Even if his actions made sense to her, the intervening minutes would wipe them from her mind. Why didn't she see it before? O'Malley brought you here, Sir Shanley murmured. Elizabeth felt her cheeks flush. Yes. When you go back, as you inevitably shall, tell Professor O'Malley he has nothing to fear. I am quite content, and there is nothing he needs from me. He seems to disagree. 
I had hoped he would tarry longer, Sir Shanley said remorsefully. He should never have seen me like this. Elizabeth was losing. After all this waiting, traveling, prodding, grasping at straws, she could not finagle a victory. Sir Shanley would fade into oblivion. Elizabeth would awaken from this dream to find his corpse. She would fail O'Malley, Lexi, Fung, Lady Shanley, but especially herself. She would have to return to that godforsaken medical school, resign herself to the insipid career O'Malley had pretended. She would have to explain her fruitless month abroad, her dalliance with a mad professor, her wasted time and effort, this blundering non-sequitur. Or worse, she would return home to Pittsburgh, known to everyone as the silly girl who had squandered her potential. She would sit in her parents' parlor, waiting for a man lonely enough to propose, and then a lackluster wedding, a humdrum house, a slew of screaming children. Who is Larimer? she rumbled. Sir Shanley winced. I beg your pardon? Who is he? And don't deny me that. You're dead anyway, so what does it matter? But... Shanley shook his head in confusion. You have to capture a piece. Stuff it, Shanley. I'm tired of games. If you want to die, then die already. I don't care anymore. But tell me who Larimer is. I... I think you ought to go. Maybe I ought to. And anyway, you've already lost. Rook to queen four, check, which means you have to move your king behind your bishop. Then knight to queen five, checkmate. I could have won ten different ways by now. So by all means, waste away in your chair. Let the world forget you ever existed. Force your maid to coddle your invalid wife. Do whatever you damn well please, but tell me, who is Larimer? Lexi slipped the scarf and hat from her neck, then shimmied out of her coat. She stacked the garments on a shelf, then rolled up her sleeves. She was no longer wearing the maid's outfit, but rather a simple wool dress. She shoved one hand into a rubber glove, struggling against its floppy shape. When Lexi had fully fitted her fingers into each black udder, she leaned forward toward the crumpled body of Sir Shanley and whispered to herself. What was that? Fung asked. For the first time, Fung did not sound like a bastion of confidence. He smoked one cigarette after another, pouring smoke into the room and jammed the filters into an ashtray. When he heard no answer, Fung repeated, What did you say? I'm saying a bleeding prayer, Lexi snapped. Take your time, Lexi. O'Malley said. We could use a spot of divine intervention. At last, Lexi took a breath, squared her shoulders, and reached a hand forward. Her wrist arced into the air, and her fingers dangled ahead of her knuckles with the elegance of a Michelangelo painting. Then her digits paused a few inches from Sir Shanley's face, waffling between one needle and another. With their faces so close together, O'Malley couldn't help but notice the contrast of their features. Lexi's skin was so soft and smooth, her cheeks rosy. Her free-flowing hair looked thick and alive, like a field of wheat. 
Next to her, Sir Shanley looked all the more diminished, his face tautly stretched, his skin waxy and pruned. Except for his wispy breaths, Sir Shanley could have passed for a stone bust of himself. Lexi pinched one of the needles. Her grasp was delicate, but it still sent shivers down the attached cord. Her chest sank, and O'Malley realized it was a sigh of relief. She had probably expected a shock, despite their preparations. The maid pulled, and the needle slid out of Sir Shanley's spotted skin. She released it, and the needle fell to the floor, its cord coiling into a spring. One down, intoned O'Malley. Good work, Lexi. Lexi grasped another needle. By the by, where do you come from, Professor? Me, O'Malley blanched. I, that is, Dublin, miss. My grandfather came from Galway. Small world, isn't it? Lexi looked sideways and smiled. It was the first time she had smiled fully since they met. But it was more than that. Her smile was the richest thing O'Malley had ever seen. A thin line of reassurance, sweetness, dry wit. Two inches of supple lips emoted to perfection. Her eyes seemed to belong to someone entirely new, a woman who had never bowed to anyone, never scrubbed a floor on her hands and knees, never stood stoically in the corner with a tea tray. She could not have sustained the gesture for more than three seconds, but they were three seconds of dizzying euphoria. And by the time she turned her head back to the second needle, O'Malley nearly swooned. She withdrew the needle. Sir Shanley sputtered. His head fell back. His back arched beneath him. Phlegm burst from his throat and blotted his collar. Every conscious person in the Soma Lodge jolted with surprise. Sir Shanley's body started to vibrate. His arms jiggled at his sides. His head lolled back and forth. A yellowish froth bubbled from his mouth. Damn it, cried O'Malley. He clambered across the room. As he moved, O'Malley grabbed a cane from the umbrella stand. He snapped the wooden shaft over his knee, breaking it into two pieces. Then he grabbed Sir Shanley's head, narrowly avoiding the electrified needles, and squeezed the man's cheeks until his jaw came open. Then he placed the shaft horizontally across Sir Shanley's teeth. What's happening? Lexi squealed. He's having a seizure. With practiced swiftness, O'Malley threw an arm over Sir Shanley's chest, bracing their shoulders against each other. The old man continued to judder in his chair, his knees swaying back and forth, his teeth grinding into the wood as saliva oozed down his cheeks. Every inch of his body shook, and when his eyelids split open, O'Malley could see his brown irises rolling underneath. Keep going, commanded O'Malley. What? Lexi cried, her gloved hands held aloft as a sign of surrender. The needles! Get them out! Now! You've been listening to The Palace of Wayward Dreams by Robert Eisenberg. 
The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC. Original music by Naoya Sakamata and Sixomatic. If you like what you're hearing, you might also enjoy The Mysterious Tongue of Dr. Vermilion and other stories, the first book in the Elizabeth Crown series. For more information about the exciting field of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net. <laughs>